0: Because I've moved around so much, and I've had to relocate and re-establish myself so many different times, I've just found football as such a constant, because you can't go anywhere without someone knowing it or loving it.
1: Oh, Lord! Welcome everybody to episode 26 of the Assyrian Podcast. My name is Adessa and it is a pleasure to be your co-host for this week's episode as I had a chance to sit down with Tatiana Shaba from Down Under in Sydney, Australia. Tatiana developed a love for soccer very early in her life and that inspired her later to create an audition video in 2015, which you may have seen floating around the internet as Assyrians and others from all over rally together and voting for her to be a presenter for Copa90, a platform that celebrates football fan culture globally. Well, she won, and the opportunity has allowed her to travel all over to capture true fan culture, something she's very passionate about and well immersed in. She also discusses how Twitter has allowed her to create community amongst Assyrians all over the world, something that Nardin Circus of California has also made mention of in his article titled HomelandAza.com. Tatiana's love for both her Assyrian culture and football are infectious, and I had a blast chatting with her. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast community. We're so happy to have you here. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of each week's episode. And if you've been rocking with us for a while, we want to thank you and continue sharing episodes with your friends and family and show them how they can access any of our episodes. Also, a thank you to everyone who filled out our feedback form. We really appreciate what you had to say. With that said, we are looking for people to serve as co hosts for their region, especially outside of North America, as we want to diversify our regions represented. So if you're interested, you can send us an email at Assyrianpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, we want to thank John Ashana for being our first sponsor on the Assyrian Podcast. John, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. And if you are looking to sponsor or advertise with us on the Assyrian Podcast, podcast, feel free to reach out to us on our email again at Assyrianpodcast at gmail.com. Now without further ado, Tatiana Shaba. Thank
0: you. Thank you for having me. Is this your first time in Canada? It is, it is. I've been meaning to come for so long, but every time I wanted to come there's been like something else where I haven't. So my cousin's getting married, and I can't escape that. So, ah. I, to go. Yeah. I feel
1: like that's always a nice incentive for Assyrians is to go to other places, is a wedding. So. Yeah,
0: if that's well, that's what it is. Like, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, where do you live in Australia?
0: I live in Sydney, Australia. I've lived there since I was 16. Before that, I was living in New Zealand, and before that, I lived in Iran, where I was born. My parents are from Iraq. I like fled to Iran and moved to New Zealand, and then Australia. Yeah.
1: So paint a picture for us of what life was like growing up in New Zealand and especially the Assyrian community as well as growing up in Sydney, Australia.
0: Um, Growing up in New Zealand, we were one of the first set of Assyrian refugees. It wasn't like a humanitarian visa or anything like that. We were the first kind of round of them to come through. I think maybe some Assyrians arrived 87, 88, and then we got there 91. I don't know how my parents said it. Too. New Zealand couldn't be further away from the Middle East mm-hmm. and so different, especially back then. Now I feel like the world feels much smaller, but back then it really felt like you were complete opposite corner of the world. I... So because of that, unlike australia and the places in north america where Syrians were settling from like the 60s you know maybe earlier there wasn't a community so you like build from scratch and we were we were like a handful of families and in wellington especially there were Syrians in auckland so a handful of families and my memory of it is quite delightful like we kind of it was like a small really tight-knit community either we'd like all visit each other's house did you know it there was like Ten families, you know. So it was really nice. We were really close. And, and
1: what's the population of New Zealand? Just in general, like the if you po-
0: could population of New Zealand. I think it just hit four million. The whole of New Zealand. Okay. The whole. Yeah. Area. At this point, I think Assyrians in New Zealand like a couple of thousand. Okay. So it was yeah. really small. There was a period where lots of Assyrians migrating in, but most of them have sort of moved on to elsewhere. But yeah, it was tiny, but it was so nice. Like our parties were so we'd, we'd do whatever we could to feel you know obviously we set up almost like probably the first thing we we needed to do so there was this like presbyterian church oh god i remember it like father john ellen that's how oh, my okay. dad is, john <laughs> ellen i assume his name yeah. is. <laughs> father john ellen <laughs> he was so wonderful he looked like santa claus so he he'd let us use their church for our services which is really lovely and then behind the church it was Like a really creepy building, but we got to have madrasa so we got to have a Syrian school there, yeah. Like New Zealand's so welcoming, so it was, everything was very basic, yeah. Like, and so then, how did your
1: parents then go from there, or in you as well, to, from Australia. there to then Australia?
0: So, we had kind of as family started migrating out and things got worse in Iraq, we had umti lived with us in New Zealand, and they decided that. You know, they had family in Australia that were kind of doing it a little bit better. And so they moved really early on, like 94. And then we just had so, like, my all my, my grandma, like, my mother's mum, all her siblings, my dad's sister. And, like, everybody kind of just located in Australia. And we found ourselves going back and forth in the summer a lot to see family. But, yeah, they just got to a point where, like, my mum was like to dad, like, sir, like, it's it's a great place. It is a great place, great opportunities She's like, it would be great for the kids, and they just like kind of bit the bullet after dad really didn't want to leave huh he doesn't like change the so mm. new zealand was enough of a change yeah bit the bullet after like 13 years and went to sydney wow i'm really grateful for having grown up there because it was it was small and i felt more comfortable sydney was quite overwhelming when i first moved the syrian community there is massive mm. like it's, how many people would you guess i don't know like 20 30 oh, like wow. that's and, and the sydney geographically like it's a big place and everything felt far and I felt like I have to start again and I don't know anybody and but yeah I've loved it for the last yeah 14 years there and you went to university in Sydney as well yeah so I did my final two years of school in Sydney like my, my senior years which is really annoying because I was doing really well in New Zealand getting into leadership programs and stuff and yeah I was going to do an exchange in France and then I was like ah, we're moving I'm like <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah, I did my final two years there. I did uh, first year of university, I did visual communications cuz I was like, yeah, man, like graphics design and web art, well, and then I'm I'm actually not a really good a creative person Mm. i'm better with my words so i change over and i did journalism and you did journalism yeah
1: how did your parents take it were they open to it or was it kind of a typical assyrian response
0: well like what i wanted to study Mm -hmm. no i've been obsessed with writing since i was a kid like they knew okay if we said in new zealand i was gonna have to move because in wellington the university didn't that i wanted didn't offer journalism so they knew like it was always going to be something like that they've they're super supportive like they're like just go
1: to university but i care what you study oh that's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time your major has led you to amazing opportunities
0: uh yeah i mean i studied journalism but then like when you get into it you're yeah get in like newsroom woo, get like let's do the story let's tell people what's really going on and then you're like oh that's not what journalism is and every place has a style guide and you have to fit within the what they're saying and and I as a Middle East and as like someone from Iraq and really knowing what's going on and I, I I um I was like I don't know that I can do this I feel like there are more important stories to tell and I can't really talk I don't want to write about a cat stuck in a tree like mm. and that's why you have to start anyway mm-hmm. but so I kind of took a break and was like I'm not sure it was quite disheartening it and journalism isn't what it was right so you can't be a writer or be a copywriter or be an editor like or a photo job you have to be everything like you have to grab your camera go find the story tell the story write the story edit the story take the photo you know what I mean wow, but, a lot yeah like when I was studying journalism we had to learn everything and and you had to realize you had to be able to do like six jobs and you're only gonna get paid for the one and barely that so yeah it was really disheartening like your dream job is like not your dream job or not what you think it is and at the time, I felt like I couldn't really maintain a stable income on it because they take advantage. That's like, what it is, right? They take mm. advantage of young writers. People tell you to, like, you know, like, submit your stuff and at least you get published and but you're not really getting paid. Mm. And People I was studying with, they're not, like, first-generation immigrants. Yeah, like, my parents are still working and mortgages and stuff like that. I can't really stay at home and do it and not work and make money. So I had a job managing an orthodontics practice but on the side I was always writing I was always doing something and this a couple of years ago this opportunity came up like I've always loved football for me I, and football not like soccer uh, yeah soccer <laughs> the correct way in, in New Zealand it was very cause such a rugby country like what do you mean you like soccer I was like
1: <laughs> tears
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah I've always loved it and I've always done whatever I could to be involved And then a friend of mine, he was an Australian guy, he won a competition. It's like a YouTube channel called Copper 90 and they're like, win the best job in the world, we'll send you to Brazil, to the Confederations Cup and blah, blah, blah. He made this little audition video, people voted, one was living the dream. Like I was looking at this guy, I was like, this guy, he's like traveling all over, making mini documentaries about clubs and derbies and blah, blah, blah. And um, I knew, like, who
1: would be funding this?
0: cop 90 like the YouTube channel. Oh wow! It's a footballing channel. Like, it's a it's about they, they they focus on fan culture and fan stories. So like, football is the core of what brings everyone together. But they focus on what it what comes out of it rather, mm. not really like this person won and this is the score. For me, like the cultural aspect of something like that was like everything. Because I've moved around so much and I've had to like, relocate and reestablish myself so many different times. I've just found football is such a constant because you can't go anywhere without someone knowing it or loving it. Wow. So it's that's been like my point. like, if I need to make conversation, I feel that's my only, my only constant. And that's my tool for relating or tool for communicating. As soon as I get through that, and then I'm able to talk about other things. Mm. And I've always used it, like I didn't realize till I was older that I did it, but I've always done that. So I'm like, oh, okay. so when I watched when I found out about Copa90 and they were doing these kind of stories about the game about bringing people together and about what it does and I was like yeah no this is this is amazing so yeah he was doing that I was like that's cool you know um and I was I was in Brisbane for a game once and he recognized me from Twitter he's like oh you're Tariana from Twitter I'm like that's me
1: and at that point did you have a big presence on Twitter
0: and Uh, like I think on Twitter there's Based on, like, who you are, like, your community, like, whether it's your cultural community or sporting, you know each other. So, mm. we call it Soccer Twitter because we make fun in Australia. Nice. So, like there's, like, a Soccer Twitter community. So, he's like, oh, and Australians who like football know each other. So, yeah, so we, we spoke and he's like, oh, are you going to Brazil? And at the time, I was going to go to Brazil for the World Cup. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, we should link up. We became friends and I would follow a story. And then... And like a year after the World Cup, I was having a bit of a tough time. Just like, what am I doing? Like a, mm. <laughs> like a mid midlife crisis. Like, what am I doing mid- with my life? I was in Where my mid twenties. Yeah, I was like, ugh. What <laughs> was me? And he had posted a like, Carbonaria uh, looking for correspondence from each continent around the world. Submit your video. And at the time, I hadn't I hadn't written in ages. I hadn't done anything media related in a long time. And I like, I remember I remember being in the shower and being like, yeah i just going to do it, like, whatever. The so, best ideas
1: come out of this. show. Yeah, <laughs> really, honestly. I
0: was crying for like a, a solid 10 minutes. And I went out, so I was like, okay. So I kind of went, I bought some equipment. Like I had an SLR anyway, but like I went and got a road mic, I got a tripod and I knew, I, I did a storyboard. Like I knew what, in my, what my audition video wanted to be. I set up a whole bunch of stuff, went on location. I took my bed out because I was like, trying to show that my bedroom was a football field. So, like, can you imagine, like, I'm taking my Dusheka out of the house, and I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, no, mom, I'll bring it back. Don't worry. She literally was like, where is that going? Like, oh. Ask me
1: in two hours, yeah. it'll be back in place.
0: And I, So I helped, like, my, my best friend took the day off. Like, one of my best friends took the day off work. She called in sick. And my little sister, who was, like, 14 at the time, loves Coppernani as well. So she's like, oh, my God, if she get a job there. She didn't go to school because she was sick. Mm. And they helped me set up, like, the post and I put, like, all my things on it and put it, whatever. Did it, edited it, and I submitted it. And my friend, Ellie, that works for them, saw my submission because I linked it to my Facebook. And he's like, what the heck? I'm running this competition. Why didn't you tell me? I was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't want it to be like, hey, you're my friend. Here's my audition video. Yeah. He's like, but are you joking? Lost his mind, took the video into the office the next day. I was like, you guys have to watch this. But if football's involved, I always feel at home. When I was a little girl, I didn't just fall in love with this game. I fell in love with the feeling and I've spent the last 20 years of my life chasing that feeling. It's taken me all over the world. I've broken bank accounts, remote controls, curfews. Anything just to feel it. It's a feeling I know everyone at Copper90 understands, because it's a feeling that Copper90 capture in their videos. And that's why I want to be a part of your team. It's really just that simple. They're like, but we've already picked our finalists, you know? And he's like, yeah, 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 but like the cutoff time isn't, you know, she, she, you at least have to watch it. And then watch it, they're like, ah, crap, okay. (laughs) So I went through like a bit of a process of like, uh, like a couple of different interviews with different producers. And then like was selected as a finalist with two other people like in um, Australia. And they came out, I got to film with them, the crew, like the crew came out from London, I had a story put together, we filmed it, and then the others did, and then theirs went up, we all went up and it went up, so It was a voting situation.
1: And who was voting? Public. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> my mother, my God, like everyone's like, this is my daughter, please. <laughs> That's the best. If she listens to this, she'll be upset. She's like, Tatiana, I don't have an accent. She's an interpreter. She, yeah, and that was really cool because I had historians from all over the world like sending me messages like, we voted for you. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, and I ended up winning. <laughs> it was
1: wild. Yo, that is unreal. Yeah. And how many votes did you get? Do
0: you remember? They didn't tell me. So one of my, the other one, there was another girl. She was like Greek. And my my friend was like, yo, okay, so the Greek community in Australia is massive. But I know the Assyrian community around the world is huge. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, we got each other's back. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, get on it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying. I'm not really good at self-promoting, <laughs> but I, you know, like Assyrian comedy club on like Facebook posted my video. On- all these different youth it was like so amazing and people- Now that i'm thinking about it i think
1: i remember oh that. My god. i think i remember voting for it <laughs> So. Mean. anytime there's something it's like
0: yes <laughs> yeah cousin's like i spent three hours i just kept voting but i'm like oh only one vote counts because like they can they like, look at your ip address I Appreciate that. yeah but thank you but yeah i ended up a- god it was such a whirlwind yeah i won that i got to make a documentary about my football club and Since then, and what you say, football, your football club, what does that mean? Uh, the foot like the team I support, oh, okay, in Sydney, like Western Sydney Wanderers, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to do that, but before that, I was when I just won the like finalists and I had become a finalist. The podcast I used to listen to it, the Wanderers podcast, the boys reached out and said, Hey, do you want to do a guest spot? I was like, Yeah, cool, they're like, you know, we can help promote your, you know, I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after, like, two guest spots, they're like, we really want you to be a member of the team, and, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. To like, join their podcast. To join the podcast, oh, yeah, and I became the, the first, like, female panelist on the podcast. I've never been more blown away by it. it. was just, like, a silly thing I decided to do when I was in the shower one day, you know, to get my mind off anything else, and I had no idea. It, like, kind of re-sparked my love for telling stories, and kind of just made me, like, appreciate my community, because I've... I always did, but something like that, you know, and my family, and it was just what I was feeling before. It was like, what am I doing with my life? And what was me? And like on the other side of things, like, God, I have such great things around me. Like, what a silly thing to think at one point. Like,
1: but it's totally natural too. I mean, yeah, I yeah many yeah, of yeah. us yeah. get to that point. Yeah, like, absolutely. So that, that's a, like unreal though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that happened. And then what? <laughs> The documentary. They came and did a documentary. Yeah, they yourself. did it.
0: Released it. We discussed what what we were gonna do, and I gave them a few things. I gave them on location things, like I wanted to do football in Fiji, and they're like, "We're not taking you to Fiji."
1: A <laughs> nice try, right? <laughs>
0: like cute, <laughs> but we think because the club, like my club, actually, like had accomplished amazing things considering they were only a couple of years formed, and won like the Asian Champions League. It was, it was a really fantastic story. Are you a player in the in the club? no okay (laughs) i wish okay goodness and then since then i've been able to kind of because they're london based i've been able to stay in sydney and then i just kind of because i have a full-time job and i do my thing but i'm able to you know they'll like set me up like they'll send me like things that like do little pieces for them and things like that research help them with research and things like that and then there's like perks of the job like two years ago they sent me, they're like, what are you going to do for the Euros? I was like, we'll probably watch it from my couch. They're like, would you like to come to Paris? I'm like, I very much would. They're like, would you like to bring a friend? I'm like, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah, so I like called up one of my best mates. I was like, mate, we're going to Paris next week. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> and really, I mean, it's not really shula. Like, it's not working. It's like, go to Paris, have a good time, hop on the Snapchat. You know what I mean? Hop on the socials, show us how it's going, go out. Cause like, again, it's more about, it's not so much about the game, but about the surroundings of the game, the vibe, the fans, the, the feelings, culture. the culture, yeah. everything, the culture clashes, the culture merges, everything beautiful that comes out of it. Like go, oh, they wanted me to go to like restaurants and see people sitting together, you know, like that's not work, man. <laughs> like Yeah. I've been able to do some really amazing things. And so with. With Russia, I was always going to go.
1: With or without them? Yeah, sort of I was you. always okay. going to
0: go. And politically, there were like, you know, UK-Russia issues. So the home, like sort of the head office, weren't sure how, how big of a team they could send or would send to Moscow. So it was going to be a bit of a more downsized thing. So they're like, we're not sure. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to go anyway. Like, I'm not going to miss this. And they're like, well, we're going to get you. Like, if you're coming we got you sorted like we'll pick you up make sure you're you know like they'll put me up wherever they're staying and which is probably half the price of everything Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. you know so they did that but then it just kind of worked out and they what they've done is again like touching on the cultural thing they've set up like a clubhouse in moscow where people can come and watch the game but they're also having like exhibitions and like talking about how art and football come together fashion and football come together and showing documentaries in between games and like a really cool place it's like a, the space is amazing it's like a like an old warehouse and they've like set it up with a bar and and they said look girl, we want to have a panel about female football fandom and how females are changing the game and could you be here to host the panel for us i'm like yep oh, like that okay. is exactly what i love doing yeah, and so like I got to go and host this panel and speak to two local Russian girls who work in fashion but also football and two girls from England and just hearing their stories. They're opposing, the you know, the English girls are like, you know, we want everything to be really authentic and fans to be authentic and the Russian girls like, we just want to be able to play without men laughing at mm. us. Like, the cultural, like, spectra- like the differences. Yeah, so that was really amazing and well, the Women's World Cup is next year. So they asked me to go to London for a meeting with some people. I I, I don't know how, like, under wraps it is. Ah, that? okay. <clears throat> but, yeah, just talking about putting together a, a, a campaign to really, like, champion for the sport for women. It's in France next year, so I think it's a really good, not just like a, because it's growing, women's football, but I think that will be, like, the World Cup c- has the potential of being, like, amazing and, like, this kind of, catalyst into bringing it to the forefront as like a full-on competition and so yeah they they kind of had me there like to sit on a presentation and just like consult with me about what really women want for the sport yeah um which is really amazing to have people like actually want to hear what I have to say and, and take it on board and so if that thing happens if it might be like working towards campaigning for the women's World Cup, which is, oh my gosh that is yeah is that like a dream yeah like <laughs> I, football has always been a dream, but like watching it grow for women. I, my youngest sister loves football, and and she's got more opportunities than I ever had, and that's amazing to see already. And to be able to know that it could get better is like the where dream. does your
1: where does your love of football come from?
0: Ninety four. I, I used to like just my dad and uncle used to get up and watch the games and woke up, and I used to just go and hang out. Like my father, I'm sure he's like a lot of Australian fathers, like not much, not much conversation. Ah. So I'd just sit with him just to spend time with him. And then he would talk to me like, oh, what's I what's and I'd enjoy it. Like his conversations with my dad. And then, yeah, I just like matched onto it. And then now he just thinks I'm crazy. Like. <laughs> well, you're like, thanks, dad. It's because of you.
1: I got my love but for soccer. It's my dad and my uncles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And talk to me a little bit about like, what is female fandom like? what kind of remarks or questions or comments do you hear from people yeah. when it's know, a struggle when they uh? find out you know your love for football
0: um it's is it a struggle Ugh, i mean it is it's different so like if someone finds out i'm a f- f- like football fan like um who do you think is hot or something i'm like yeah all right bro like fine and i've had someone i, remember I was wearing like an old school jersey from somewhere and that's like this guy came up to me he's like can you even name a player? And my best friend, she's like, you don't want to play this game, honestly. <laughs> turn around and go. It's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, look, I think I think social media has helped so much. One of the girls on the panel, she is a Leicester City fan in, in the UK. She was taking photos, and she just realised there weren't enough women in photos, but she knew a lot of female football fans. So she went out and started taking photos of Leicester City fans. And then it kind of like... She started a um, an Instagram page called This Fan Girl, and she couldn't believe the response because I think females were so hungry to see fellow you know fellow female football fans represented, and it kind of shot off. And so then she now she just like kind of goes around the UK and and takes photos of like amazing fans at games, female fans, and uh, you know, they're just registered as a legit organization now, and they've been doing partnerships with Nike and Adidas, and like it's. Yeah, like we're hungry for it. I think it's there and I and I definitely think social media has helped it become more of a norm like oh okay that's normal. A girl that's a football fan like but for me it's always been like I always feel like I have to prove myself before being taken seriously especially if someone sees you as like a, a football journalist. Mm. It's like yeah,
1: I you feel like you have certain things to prove before you get the respect
0: constantly. And we did a we did a podcast like um like a merger with the boys i do a podcast with called uh, the state of the game just the what's happening in the game administration wise whatever player wise team wise money wise with fox football which is huge they invited us to their studios and we had set it up and it was all good and on the way there one of my co I was I was like really really stressed out like i i was i couldn't sleep i was like really anxious and my co-host was like what's wrong man like I'm like, I'm so nervous. He's like, why, you know your stuff better than anyone I know. Like, I'm not sure why you're so stressed. I'm like, yeah, but he's like, you're cool. You know, I'm like, but the thing is, what you don't understand is when you say something, like if you say your opinion or something, as a matter of fact, or like a fact, be like, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Is that what it is? Cool. When I say it, people like, no, that can't, that can't be right. It gets scrutinized three four times before anybody kind of everything's taken with a grain of salt if i say it mm-hmm. you know and it doesn't matter how much i research and how much i know they just you know it'll be we're not used to hearing it from you know and the, for him it was like really bizarre I was like but we all like love you i'm like i know you guys are great like you're, fan- you're fantastic but it's so there's in australia tangent again there's a um, Oh, a, a sport broadcaster, SBS, or World Game. And one of the main hosts, she's a female, Lucy Zellich. This year, they only had the rights to, like, a handful of games. So they were going to do, like, a game every three days or whatever. But the person that had the main rights, they screwed up the broadcasting or whatever. Like, it was bad. They weren't able to uh, handle how much pe- how many people were watching it. So they had to give the rights back over to SBS. So this woman and, and her co-host, Craig Foster, two people, have gone from having to cover... One game every three days to three games a day for two cool. weeks. Right. So already sh- things bad. Things are bad, bad, bad. She has been scrutinized because people don't like the way she pronounces players' names. I mean, this hit, like, national news in Australia. This woman who's probably sleeping two hours a day at this point. like she Because pronoun- she pronounces them, like, she'll speak and then she'll say, like, you know like she'll pronounce it with the right pronunciation but they're like uh it sounds so you know like she's trying to. yeah 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 oh, okay. she's trying so hard to sound like she knows. it's like well actually if you know les murray who was he was like a really really famous football presenter in australia he passed away last year he was her mentor and for him he was a he was a hungarian immigrant who'd come to australia and had to like sell this game to australians and for him as an immigrant where people usually don't pronounce your names right and don't care.
1: <laughs>
0: For him, he said that's the biggest respect you can give someone is to call them right by their right name. So he would always pronounce names to a t- like amazing. Like everybody knows Les Murray, like in Australia, Les Murray's pronunciations are on top because that's the biggest, res- that's the least you can give a player is respect them that much. I think Gassoons could relate to that. 100%. <laughs> I've, I, that hit home to me. I'm like, yeah. I've been called everything. So that's her mentor. So he's taught her that. So she's done that. I'm like, so how come no one ever gave him slack for doing that? And she has been, I mean, like she had, they addressed it on air. She was crying on air. Like, she's like, are you joking, man? Like she could wipe the floor with you with her football knowledge and you're going to criticize her because of, because she's pronouncing people's names, right? Yeah. And last World Cup, because she dyed her hair blonde, she got like, it's right. So that's where we're at. Okay. There are good people and there are bad people.
1: When does the World Cup end? On the 15th of uh, July. Oh, okay. So by the time this airs, it'll be August. Because I was going to ask you, who do you think is going to win? but.
0: Oh, uh, am I going on air? I know, France. <laughs>
1: well, I'll ask you this. Who is your favorite football team?
0: Uh, club or country? Both. Okay. I guess the rolls on. Because my... Uh, people in Australia like why do Syrians like all support Italy and Germany because like, we don't have a country <laughs> yeah um, Brazil because 94 I watched them win the World Cup and I loved it and 98 I was like obsessed like they were superheroes to me and uh, there was a player Roberto Carlos on the team who I adored and then he ended up playing for Real Madrid and even though Real Madrid as a club now kind of goes against everything I believe as as an adult <laughs> what they represent but I I, like I've supported them since I was eight years old I don't know yeah so Real Madrid and Brazil which is probably the most cheesiest answer
1: and who would you say is your favorite player of all time Roberto Carlos okay yeah yeah yeah, absolutely
0: the guy was like he was a defender that scored goals that were like mind-blowing he was fast down the wing and he was just he was short like me (laughs) but swift but so swift my goodness yeah yeah that guy
1: Jimmy Dermoz, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh recently has gotten a lot of press mm-hmm. for the sort of racism that has been he's been hit with uh, as a result of the foul that he made. Right? There's yeah, he the gave foul. away a
0: foul like the dying minutes of the game.
1: Your thoughts on that? To
0: be honest, yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, yeah, yeah, racism in for all the good that comes out of football, like you can't like there's like the kind of racism some some players face is you know like some like African players like if they're playing in Italy and stuff like they get it's like they get bananas thrown at them that's uh, one player Danny Alves he's Brazilian uh, he had a banana thrown at him at a game before he was about to take a kick he picked up the banana he ate it he took a bite threw it away and then scored a goal it was the best thing that ever happened. It was bloody amazing.
1: That's the best revenge.
0: Yeah, look, there's a... I, I mean, I guess with every, every sport, there's a there's there's a really really nasty aspect to it. Yeah. But what I have, I love seeing football fans like get together and like push towards a good. Like there's for me, there's more good that outweighs like the bad. Like the good stories I've heard about humanity is like everything.
1: Yeah. Better. Yeah, and I, I just think it's so cool that we had an Assyrian like playing like that. We had one
0: last year, who not last year, last World Cup. It might be a bit Asher, but he played, oh, Steven for the, he played for the Iranians. Yeah, yeah, Iranians. Yeah, 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 okay, yes, yeah, he yes, played yes. The last World
1: Cup. He actually used to play for the team here, but he's now in yeah. LA. Yeah, 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 he so we here. had him here for a little bit. Yeah, okay, yeah. I always like you're right,
0: I always keep my mind on Assyrian players all the time. It's funny, like soccer Twitter or like for the, the 20 universal everyone there's like two things they know about me is like Assyrian and football and when Syria came they played a qualifier game against Australia like to get in to make it to the World Cup last year lots of Assyrians went obviously because a lot of Assyrians are from Syria and so there were lots of Assyrian flags and like this one guy was like I like tweeted him. he's like I saw an Assyrian flag at the game <laughs> was that you and I was like not me but I did have an Assyrian flag like not me but there were a lot of Assyrians and this guy's like And another person was like, you were trying to, like, you were trying to be nice, but like, you all of a sudden seem like a, like, generalizing racist, (laughs) because you're like, it's an Assyrian flag, it must be Tariana, like.
1: (laughs) Like, I appreciate that. Yeah, but I
0: do, and I love it, because, like, people will link me to things now, like, non-Assyrians will link me to things, like. I thought you'd find this amazing. Did you know that this player used to be his, this came from here? And a friend of mine, like Ashley Ellie, like he sent me this amazing like article about this, like Assyrian player that overcame so many things like in the 60s and you know they did an article about like Jimmy durma's like about uh you know like he was uh this player was blah 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 and he was harassed for being Muslim. And get that fact right. Like mm-hmm. our identity is like dwindling as it is, like let's get this right. And I there are a lot of Assyrians responding saying, hey, Actually, like while it's horrible all together, maybe get this fact right as well, you know. And I was looking at a lot of the replies and like, what? Are, I mean, he couldn't be whiter. Like, his name is Ben Williams, you know, from Melbourne. He was like, I think it's really important that you get the identity right. He's actually like a Syrian of Syriac Orthodox. Like, he just like he nailed it. And I was like,
1: guys, yeah, that's amazing,
0: guys, yeah. yeah. So I love that through football, like all my football friends know about Assyrians. I have football friends who travel the world and they'll take photos at like uh the British Museum like tap I'm with your friend like, thanks guys I love it I it's, it's so amazing to me which you touch on a good
1: point where it's like so often within Assyrian functions like we share things just amongst ourselves and it's also just equally as important to be able to share out our culture because yeah. we get to share it with other people but also those people get to know about us and are reminded yeah. of us whenever these types of circumstances or situations happen
0: like i whenever i can i'm in like a friend of mine said like last year he was like do you think you're going to go to russia i'm like yeah i really want to go to the world cup but also there's a a Syrian, like russian Assyrian community there so i really want to say he's like that's the most Tatiana thing (laughs) that i've ever heard in my life (laughs) i gotta do both and wherever i can um like for the panel i was wearing my assurisco jersey because i want people to ask me Ah. what it is I did a piece to camera for like a Nike research thing, and I wore a hoodie that I got from um, a Syrian festival in New Zealand from the Khabar Association. It's got this like um, lamassu on the. I was like, I'm gonna wear this. I'm gonna make sure it's in shot like, wow.
1: wherever. So you're I very yeah. intentional about
0: one hundred percent everything I do. Like everything I do, I like try and insert it. Even in my audition video, I was like made a point that I was a Syrian. I made sure like they got shots of a Syrian flags where they could like, <laughs> yeah. I'm indoctrinated.
1: It's all good. Let it be known. Yeah. Everybody is fully aware. There is not <laughs> one...
0: There is not no. one football fan in Australia that ha- doesn't know that I'm a
1: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so you talked a lot about Twitter.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've noticed that the Twitter community, the Assyrian Twitter community, is one that is very tight-knit and that knows no boundaries, right? <laughs> like, they're from all over. And that there's these really have potential to be really, um, intimate and close relationships through this platform. You've been one of those people that has developed those types of relationships. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: That, uh, oh, I just lost my voice. I've just gained it back. There's been a few penalty penalty shootout games. I've been losing my voice. (laughs) Twitter, for me, honestly, this is going to sound so lame. Like has changed my life for the better so much because even the copper ninety thing, if it wasn't for that, like I don't like I wouldn't have known about it from the get go. I wouldn't have had that my football community support me and blah blah blah. Assyrian Twitter is, I don't know, I I don't know how to say it, but you kind of form these connections because you already, you already relate, you already do. Before then, the way I used to connect with Assyrians in diaspora was unfortunately through horrible things that happened you know like bad yeah. things would happen and we'd all get together because we're like we need to do something so like 2010 the um the church bombing in iraq in iraq yeah. I, I drove to a there was going to be there was like the worldwide black march kind of thing mm-hmm. and someone's like look we're going to get together in sydney and whatever and i, I went because i was like i, I let me i let me see what i can do i want to do something and like i met someone there and like I met a group of people, but then because it was going to be a worldwide thing, I started looking for people kind of around the world who were doing it. And then you start talking, it's like, okay, so what are you guys doing and whatever? And like through that, through like honestly, probably one of the worst things that I'd ever seen, I formed like these amazing like friendships. And because you're coming together to do the same thing, you're relatively like minded because. You're all you're on the same point. It's like crap. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I get to go home every day to this house and be safe. And like, but I can't be there. I don't want to. Though. So you're already like-minded there, and then like, so the f- the the foundation is already so like solid. Uh, then it goes from there, and then I mean, i <laughs> the unfortunate thing about being a Syrian is it, it comes in waves, right? It never really stops. And so, like, two thousand fourteen, I was actually we were in Brazil when we found out about Mosul. And Khalti uh, who was with me, she's a couple years older than me, but also a huge football fan. We just felt like we were in Sao Paulo for like three days. We didn't leave our hotel because we just like what a time, like, yeah. And we were so far away from our families as well. And she grew up and she was in Iraq till she was like seventeen. So for her, it's like really at home. I got back after the after the World Cup, and again, what can I do? And who can I meet? And whatever. And again, you know, you start doing this and you start linking up worldwide and like and then you, again you make friends and they last and they stick around and a good thing comes out of it and and you connect with like as around the world and 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 through that like you know i've made friends like like max in london i like, you know he does amazing things the writing like my dean does and then you find out about like conferences and 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 then all of a sudden like you see like some sort of light at the end of the tunnel because at that point it's like so dark and you're like there's nothing we can do we're so helpless we, like we've got nothing we've got no one no one wants to help us we can't help anybody i i can't do anything like apart from tweet about it i don't what do i do uh and then you get to meet these people and you're like oh my god oh okay you're working on the politics side of things oh okay you're working in the humanitarian side of things and 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 we're so like networked and connected it's like let me connect you with this person and and someone linked me to um Helen Melker who lives in New York because I was going to New York like, well you should like talk to Helen and we got to say well, she's amazing she does amazing work and then she linked me to this person and it's like it's the most beautiful network of people and it just it, it, it's the only thing that keeps you going because otherwise you're like oh we're doomed mm-hmm. we're actually doomed
1: and when you came here many of the people that you have met here many of the Syrians you have met here yeah. have been a Syrians that you've met on Twitter
0: yeah like even Chicago I wasn't mean, I, I went to Chicago on the wave oh like, Chicago so Moscow, Chicago, Toronto, via. Uh, the only reason I went there is because, like, I'd made these amazing Australian mm. friends. I'm like, you know what, guys? Like, I'm so close. I'm just going to fly over. Yeah. And they all just... It's so overwhelming because they all took the... You know, they cleared out their Friday. They're like, Tariana's in town. Like, And we all hung out. And some friends, like, non-asservative friends, are like, so you're just going to go, like, meet someone you don't know? I'm like, but I do. They're like, so you're just going to, like, go... And you go into the house, like, it's like, hi, Khalti, like, hi, Khalta you know? And then, like, do you, you know this person? I'm like, oh, I don't. It's funny, I was in Chicago, like, one of the moms was like, do you know my family in Sydney? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. We're far too many. And then she's like, yeah, her name is, she's like, her name is Della. I was like, oh my God, Bachat oh <laughs> yes! You know? Like, but you do, like, it's already, it already feels like home. Yeah. Like, because you're basically family already. And that's the best thing to come out of the like living in diaspora. Someone said the other day is like our whole lives we were taught, um, don't speak to Nukhrayah, like don't speak to strangers and she's like, But we have to because and then she just posted this photo of like all different people who've in the last six months oh, met amazing. up through like Twitter and stuff, but our core base is wanting to do something that's best we can for Assyrians. And she's like, Yeah, I'm like, Well, that's the best thing to come out of it it's yeah. amazing like, my auntie's so i came to stay with my aunt here and i'm only here for a week but i do like i have different groups of friends here now and so she's like how do you know so many people i don't know this many? I'm like yeah that's and, awesome <laughs> yeah it's really I, I think i have a bigger a serene friendship base outside of australia than i do in australia like it's my cousins and you know but like Outside of Australia, I've got, like, like yeah, I've got a friend. I've got a friend in Finland. We're good with London. Wherever I go, I'm good. Yeah, yeah you always a, have at least one person. But it's the best thing, and you learn so much about other people's experiences as well, where they grew up, and how they grew up Assyrian, because that's different as well, like, how how Assyrian you grew up.
1: Yeah. I'm going to ask you just some random um, Assyrian-related questions, yeah, I and think of the first thing that comes to mind. Your favorite type of Assyrian dance. Do you dance Assyrian? love kika oh, okay. love it like yakura like yeah like the, I
0: quite like yakura like when the beat drops and it gets like super yeah. fast that's fun um, I love dancing lot. love it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, who's your favorite Assyrian artist her name is Agnes Ishak and she was in New Zealand with us and she she was my first taste of art in general and it just so happened to be she was an Assyrian artist and she was female it was the first... Uh, it's, like, so weird. It's, like, in the 90s, the Syrians have absolutely nothing, and she was having, uh, like, exhibitions, you know? Like, I went to my first art gallery. It was hers. It was just, like, a little space, a little white space with some stuff. She, she paints some really empowering things, female empowerment, but also she paints some painful stuff because their journey outside, out of Iraq wasn't an easy one either. So, yeah, like, I absolutely adore her things. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see her and work. Ad- and what I love the best is her daughter Ilona now amazing artist as well. And I'm like, yes, your favorite Assyrian singer. Oh, even because I'm like, we're kind of like, cause I was born in Iran and he's from Iran. So, but, um, Ninos David is actually my cousin. So I should probably say Ninos. <laughs> His brother's <laughs> Andy. I adore him. But yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: What would you like to see more of within the Assyrian community?
0: I think it's, it's getting better. Like, a. Uh, like women in the community having a stronger voice is definitely getting better and I think that's one of the great things that I've come across on on Assyrian Twitter is the Assyrian men on for the most part is the Assyrian men on Assyrian Twitter love uplifting Assyrian women on Mm. Assyrian like I that's refreshing it's amazing like and one of the one of my friends was like I love that of all the Assyrian men that are like obsessed with football it's an Assyrian woman that's like really gotten myself into it yeah i i really adore that so yeah like not only do i want to see like a certain a certain woman support other certain women i want to see more certain women support and they and they do like it's getting much better but i'd like to see more of it
1: what piece of advice would you have for somebody who is in the position in their life that you were in at one point of questioning everything asking like what am i doing with my life what should i do with my life
0: um I mean, that would assume that I know what I'm still... I, at this point, I know what I'm doing, which I still don't. It's... It's so simple to say, like, try and find something that makes you happy or whatever, but it, it definitely is... Because the reason why I got to that point is because I was stuck in a rut of safety. I was mm. like, this, uh, the job I was working was fine. Good job, you know. But it was very... Same thing over and over. And, like, I got... Yeah, I got stuck in a, in a bubble of this is fine. And sometimes this is fine, gets kind of like uh, too much. So it was a massive risk. But I, I do recommend taking the risk. Like even if you take little little risks every couple of years instead of taking like a massive step, like I don't recommend that everybody should quit their job, backpack around Europe, you know. But if there's something that you wanna do, suss it out. I know people who have wanted to like live overseas, but they're like, I could never, or like, or people are like, how do you do it? Like, try like the idea of going all the way from Australia hmm. to Moscow I'm like yeah but it's like an airline ticket and uh but the idea of it is can be really overwhelming I understand that because I used to think that when I was younger but just test the water dip your feet do the research be like okay so like if I were to go what would be involved how much would it cost maybe let's like start there do I need a visa like you know like just do the research just for a year just like kind of get a really good idea of it because it is it's really daunting to think that you could do that but um don't get stuck in fine we deserve so much better than fine so much better than fine so just take a little bit of just tiny risks